Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Deuteronomy, the opening nine verses of the fourth chapter. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. And now, O Israel, give heed to the statutes and the ordinances which I teach you, and do them that you may live. And go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, gives you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor, but... You who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and ordinances as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land which you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people's who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely, this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and ordinances so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. This morning's New Testament reading comes to us from the book of James in the first chapter, beginning at verse 17 and continuing through verse 27. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, Rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror for they look at themselves and, on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, 
being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. (coughs) In this morning's lectionary appointed New Testament text from the letter of James, the author begins with an observation concerning every generous act of giving. Every generous act of giving. This is a phrase of action. There is deed referred to here. Setting the narrative stage for what is to come, a very practical look at a variety of elements that should be outward evidence of one who has internalized the revelatory gifts of the Spirit sent by God and who is now living a life that follows in the example of that set forth by Jesus himself. A bit later in the passage, the author employs the now very familiar refrain to be doers of the word. When I heard that phrase once again in my head this week as I was reading and rereading this passage as part of the lead up to the sermon preparation, I was reminded of a fellow that I hadn't thought of in, well, quite a while. Providentially, we knew a Reverend Dewar. He pronounced it slightly differently. It was spelled with two R's. But unlike Reverend Lovejoy of the Simpsons, this is, in fact, a real live person. In fact, he was the real live person who officiated our wedding. In a stone church just a few years ago now, uh, a church of about this size sanctuary, maybe a little larger, and it lacked air conditioning. And it was in August, on one of the hottest, most humid afternoons of the year. But back to the preacher, the one who had to also endure those conditions. And he, in his clerical robe like this, what a great name, though, for a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Reverend Dewar. Truth be told, all clergy should aspire to be Reverend Dewar's and non-clergy, Mr. or Mrs. Dewar. For what does it benefit us, as James asks rhetorically here, to be hearers of the word only? Such folks are missing out on the intent of the gospel and one of the most important aspects of scripture that sets it apart from every other collection of writings. Not only have we been gifted with this sacred book, this Bible, that reveals to us who we are, and whose we are, but in the process, it also tells us 
what to do now that we have that knowledge. How to be stewards of this gift. What it looks like to be blessed people of God so that we might be a blessing to the nations, to the world. From early on in Scripture, this has been the way of the people of God. The way that they've been imagined by the one who made them. It was a purpose for the creatures that were formed from the dust of the earth and into whom the Lord breathed life. As far back as the collecting together of the Pentateuch, sometimes called the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, we read of God setting forth and then reiterating his promises to his people and their obligation as covenant partners. The commands, the ordinances, the statutes were to be reiterated and passed on down through the generation to your children and your children's children and on and on and on. But they were also meant to be kept, to be followed by each of these generations. We're reminded of that once again in our reading this morning from Deuteronomy. The word is active and alive. It's not something that we are to pay lip service to, but something we are to live out. Now, there are a number of stereotypes about us, about religious people, about Christians, about Presbyterians, and some of you have recently reminded me of these. And there is a grain of truth in all of them. The most familiar that comes to mind about our own tradition is that we're the frozen chosen, which refers to our historical understanding of election and predestination. If you believe that you have already been saved by God's grace, so the line of reasoning goes, then you no longer have any motivation to do any good works. You can just coast through this life carefree, doing whatever you want or don't want, perhaps a little or more than a little smug about it all. And all the while, you have this get-out-of-jail-free card tucked in your pocket, safely stowed away for the day when you at last find yourself there at the pearly gates. Now, I'm not saying that there haven't been those with that sort of misunderstanding of the gospel. Some who have lived their lives in such an unfortunate manner, but these are not the reverend doers out there. No, I believe that the moment you first hear and first believe, you begin to be changed. The conversion from faith, from unbelief to faith, rather, marks a beginning of a new chapter, the beginning of a new life. During the service of baptism, which took place a couple of weeks ago here, this was at the center of the message that I had for little Hadley Rose and for her parents and her godparents and her grandparents and her great-grandparents, her family, her friends, and for this congregation as well. I'll continue to preach 
that gospel message. And it's up to all of us to respond. That's what the gift of life is for. It is, as the church, even today, continues to affirm in the words of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the chief end of man, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God, that implies some action. In other words, it means to be doers of the word. It has been said that the life of a Christian may be the only sermon that their neighbors see this week. Over half a millennia ago, a European clergyman observed, publish not scandal, for it is well to be silent. Proclaim the truth, for it is salutary. Be modest, for it is reasonable. Hurt no one, for it is just. Be useful to all, for such is piety, and edify your neighbor in word and deed, for such is religion. As we set out in the joyful business of living out the statutes and ordinances and commands of God, we don't do so so that we may earn his favor. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's done because we have come to realize and to appreciate that his favor has already been bestowed upon us. We, who have done absolutely nothing to deserve it. The Christian life, then, is one of gratitude born out of this knowledge. It's not simply the knowledge itself. It is our response as individuals and as a congregation. They will know we are Christians by our works more than our words. Anyone, after all, can say the words, whether or not they believe, trust, and appreciate them. Well, that is evident in what they do with them. And this is not just the case from an outsider's point of view, but as the text this morning provides us, it's uh, with an excellent illustration to illumine the fact that it is for our own good as well. This illustration incorporating a mirror reinforces within ourselves our own identities in Christ. It's easy for us in the busyness of this life to forget this is a helpful reminder to us of what we are, whose we are, and how we have been called to live. Along the way, in my many graduate studies, I spent a few years at North Carolina State University. I studied adult education, and I went on to work at a couple of colleges and universities in the Tar Heel State. And I am married to a woman who I just overheard this week introducing herself to her incoming students as having taught, can it be, for over three decades now. Along the way, one thing I have heard from others and experienced myself is that one of the most effective teaching strategies for long-term appropriation of knowledge and information is to have the students put the theory into practice. In other words, 
the best way to remember the subject matter is to have them teach that very subject matter to others. Our eldest daughter began her college career this week and said that her English professor brought in a carburetor to illustrate for the class the theory of grammatical and compositional construction, engaging those who were visual and kinesthetic learners as together the class worked to practice the theory of narrative construction. He was taking a somewhat abstract theory and making it more visible as he prepares them to be engaged in the process of writing in the course and not simply hearing about or speaking of composing, but actually producing a work. And that is, I think, pretty close to the heart of the message from this passage in James. God has revealed himself to his people in the words of Holy Scripture and in the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hear my words. See my words. Experience my words. Remember my words. And don't forget to live them. Put them to work. Make something of them. Transcending the passive head knowledge into the transformational life gifted us by God through His Spirit is the means at our disposal for expressing our gratitude for all the words given and the works done on our behalf by the author of all true words and good works. This is, I believe, what it means to be doers of the word, whether your name is Doer or Smith or Jones or simply child of God. And for that, we may truly say thanks be to God and amen.